Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Desiring the Kingdom, a study of the books of First and Second Kings. Here's Pastor Nick. They raved on until the time of the offering of oblation. Offering of oblation, that's also called the evening sacrifice. It takes place around 6 p.m. So we're talking like 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. We're talking like 10, maybe 12 hours of just straight, you know, jumping, shouting, cutting. These guys must be exhausted, right? It says that they, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation, but there was no voice No one answered. No one paid attention. They figured if the blood of the bull that we sacrificed didn't get Baal's attention, then maybe our own blood will. And this was their custom. This is how Baal was worshipped, by the shedding of human blood. They said, surely this will get his attention. So they cut themselves. You can just imagine, right? It's gross that the blood is squirting out of their veins and their arteries onto the altar. And it's just, you know, blood everywhere. It's a huge mess trying to get the attention of their idol in vain. But look what it says. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. You know, there's a sense in which, you know, we're laughing with Elijah at the foolishness of what they're doing. But then you read that phrase, and I know it's hard to feel sorry for these prophets of Baal, but don't you just feel sorry a little bit when you read that phrase? No one answered. No one paid attention. Here they are desperately trying to cut themselves and get God's attention and there's no answer. No one cares. You see, look, guys, you know what? You can dedicate yourself with sincerity, with great devotion, with passion. You can devote your life to the idols of this age. You know what the idols of this age are, right? Now, you may not worship Baal or Asherah, but you know this, right? That Baal and Asherah represented things that people absolutely do worship now and today. Baal represented success. He represented security. He represented prosperity. Asherah represented sensual fulfillment and sensual pleasure. And many people today, maybe even some of us, right, we devote our lives to the pursuit of these same things. But here's the thing, guys. You know what? Uh, All of these idols of our age, these idols that we worship, these things that we pursue throughout our lives, you know what they're like? It's kind of like cotton candy. You ever get cotton candy, right? It's like, it looks all big. You're like, wow, this is going to be very satisfying. But then you bite into it and it disappears into thin air. There's nothing there. It just disappears. There's no substance. It vanishes. It dissolves. There's nothing to it. And then in the end, you don't feel satisfied. You just feel gross about yourself, right? You're like, what am I doing with my life, right? You're just covered in sticky stuff and you feel disgusting. That's what following the idols of this world does to you. If you live your life devoted to the pursuing of idols of, let's say, success or gaining material things or the idols of pleasure or acclaim, right? What people think of you because of your accomplishments or the idol of popularity, 
You know what it's like? It's like chasing after the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It just keeps dragging you along, keeps you chasing and chasing, but you never reach the end of that rainbow. It's an illusion. It's empty. It promises something, but it never and can never and will never deliver on that promise. Maybe you say, well, how do I know what is an idol in my life? How do I recognize it? Let me give you two ways to recognize idols in your life, okay? Two big red flags. Number one, here's, here's the first way to recognize an idol in your life. It's something for which you are willing to cross lines that you thought you'd never cross. It's something for which you find yourself crossing lines that you thought you'd never cross. Maybe you say, oh, I would never lie. Lying's bad. Cheating's bad. I would never cheat. I would never fudge the numbers. But then you find yourself telling half-truths to people. You find yourself fudging the numbers, exaggerating a little bit, cheating a little bit here and there. See, when you find yourself crossing lines that you thought you'd never cross, that's a sign that there's an idol in your life. Idols in our lives, you know what they're like? They're like addictions. And you know what addictions do? They demean you. They strip you. They, they drive you to do things that you thought you'd never do. I, I have a friend, and he struggled with addiction. And he told me that the, the moment his eyes were open, he realized that he had a problem with this addiction. It was one day he found himself stealing from his child's piggy bank. And he was like, what? has become of me. You know, I never in my wildest dreams would imagine that I would be robbing my own child's piggy bank, but there he was. Guys, you know what? You can be addicted to a lot of things. You can be addicted to success. You can be addicted to other people's opinion of you. You can be addicted to your image. You can be addicted to material things, to fulfilling your desires. And you know what? When you're addicted to something, you're not free. An addicted person, that addiction controls you. You are, that is your master, right? You are, you are, you will sacrifice for that thing. You know what an idol is? An idol is a spiritual and mental addiction. It's a spiritual and mental addiction, and it will drive you to do things and cross lines that you thought you'd never cross. The second, a second way to identify idols in your life is something which, if you didn't get it, you'd be tempted to turn your back on God. If I didn't get it, I'd be willing to turn my back on God, or attempted to at least, right? An idol is a thing you look to and you say, if I just had that, then I'd feel like I'm okay. Then I'd feel like I'm content. But guess what, guys? When you get it, it, it doesn't have that effect. An idol is something that you look to to give you the things which only God can give you, whether that's identity, security, meaning, purpose. Here's the thing. Look at these prophets of Baal. Do you think they're happy? Do you think they're feeling good and successful and fulfilled? No, look at them. They're exhausted. They're battered. They're bloody. They're humiliated. And guys, that is exactly what pursuing idols and, and the gods of this world, this is exactly what it does to us as well. If you dedicate your life to pursuing the idols of this world, you will eventually find yourself exhausted, drained, and humiliated. And in the end, this tragic phrase will be written over our lives as well if we live this way, right? There was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Well, now it's Elijah's turn. Look at verse 30. 
Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Apparently, there on Mount Carmel, there used to be an altar at one time to the Lord there on Mount Carmel. And at some point, it had been torn down. And an altar to Baal had been erected in its place. And I wonder if there are any of you here today or any of you watching online, and this describes your life. This is where you're at. At one time in your life, your life was characterized by devotion to God. But at some point, the altar to the Lord in your life was replaced with an altar to something else. And maybe today is the day for you, like Elijah did here in this story, you need to repair and restore the altar to the Lord in your life. Look at verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones. 12 guys, not 10. Remember at this time, Israel's divided. 10 kingdoms in the north, two kingdoms in the south, and two kingdoms. But Elijah says, don't give me 10 stones. Give me 12 stones. Israel is one people before God. And he says, give me 12 stones because of the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel will be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And it says he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. Guys, seah of seed. You, I don't know how much that is either, but I'm assuming it's a lot. Okay, he said he put the wood in order and he cut the bowl into pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four jars with water, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did. And then he said, do it a third time. And they did. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. Look, I, Elijah wants it to be abundantly clear that this is not a trick. This is not going to be a sleight of hand. He doesn't have like some lighter fluid and a big lighter hanging in his clothes, right? This is going to be a work of God, and it has to be undeniable. And he wants that for the people. He says, douse it in water. Make it impossible. The Lord doesn't need perfect conditions to do his work. Look at verse 36. At the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. It's so interesting. Elijah doesn't shout. He doesn't jump around. He, he doesn't dance around. He, he doesn't have to cut himself. He just prays this prayer, and this prayer is short. And it's simple. God, reveal yourself to these people. Amen. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Here with Elijah and the prophets of Baal, we see two very different approaches to getting God's attention, don't we? Two very different approaches to getting God's attention. And I want to just take a very quick second to consider what this passage teaches us about some keys to effective prayer. Keys to effective prayer. Number one, you have to pray to the God who is actually there. That's the first thing. You have to pray to the God who is actually there. Now, the prophets of the Baal, they were passionate. They were dedicated. The problem is they're praying to a God who doesn't actually exist. He's a figment of their imagination. And you know, this is such a popular thing in our day and age and here where we live, right? People say, hey, I'm spiritual. Like, I'm down with God and stuff, but I'm not, like, into any organized religion. 
You've been listening to a message by Pastor Nick Cady of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'll get back to the remainder of this message in a moment. We are open for in-person worship on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. We have implemented procedures to ensure your safety as we gather for worship and studying God's Word. Come grow with us on Sunday mornings, online or in person, at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. Now, back to Pastor Nick with the remainder of today's message. I just have, you know, my own concept of God. Guys, so did they. They had their own concept of God. But I'm telling you this, in order for your prayers to be effective, you can't just pray to a God of your own imagination. You have to pray to the God who is actually there, the God who really exists, not just a God you made up. Okay, number two, pray with faith. Pray with faith. Elijah's prayer is simple, it's short, and it's confident. Why? Because Elijah has faith. You know, sometimes I hear people say, do you believe in the power of prayer? And I always want to tell them, no, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. Elijah doesn't have confidence in his prayer. He has confidence in God. Now think about this. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, then you can see God move mountains. Okay, now think about that. A mustard seed is a tiny, tiny seed, perhaps the smallest seed that was known in Israel at that time. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, what matters most in prayer is not the size of your faith. It's the size of your God. Maybe you just have a, the faith that's the size of a mustard seed. You only have enough faith to come to God and trust that maybe he can do something. Guys, it's not the size of your faith. It's the size that you're bringing that issue to the almighty God. It's not the size of your faith. It's the size of your God. He can do incredible things. It's not the power of your prayers. It's the power of him. But you have to have enough faith to at least bring those things to that almighty God in prayer. Okay, last one. Pray according to the will of God. Notice verse 36. Elijah doesn't just, he's not just doing this for fun because he, he thinks it's cool. Elijah is doing this because God told him to do these things. He says, God, I did everything you told me to do. You know what? First John 5.14 says this. This is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. How do you know what God's will is? Through the word of God and by the spirit of God. So the key to effective prayer is to pray according to the will of God. Guys, you know that prayer is not like rubbing a lamp with a genie inside. You know what prayer is like? So with God, we don't have a genie who, who just gives us whatever we want when we say the right words. No, with God, we have something better than that. We have a father who knows all things, who knows us best and loves us most, and is absolutely dedicated to doing what is best for us, right? His will is for you. So that's so much better than a genie who gives you what you think you need. No, it's a father who gives you what he knows is best. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray. Our father in heaven your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, your will. Okay, let's continue this sentence. In the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, we see a display of God's judgment and mercy. In verse 40, after the fire comes from heaven, we read that Elijah took the prophets of Baal down to the brook Kishon and he executed them there. Apparently, these thousands of people who were gathered around, when they saw God respond in fire, they turned on the prophets of Baal, and they grabbed them, and they helped Elijah do 
this deed of executing them at the brook Kishon. Now, maybe you say, hey, isn't this a bit harsh? Isn't this a bit much capital punishment for these 450 prophets of Baal? Guys, I want you to remember, these prophets had blood on their hands. These prophets had slaughtered children and babies for years. These prophets had killed the followers of Yahweh. These prophets had encouraged people to turn away from the true God and to cut themselves and follow a fake God. And they profited from this financially. And when they were given the chance to repent, they refused. This judgment, you know what it was? This was the punishment for crimes against humanity. That's what they had committed. And that's what this is. But see, God didn't only send judgment that day. You know what else God sent? He sent mercy. Verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, get up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of rushing of rain. Even before the rain came, Elijah knew that God was going to send it. And Elijah told Ahab, it's about to rain, so go get yourself ready. We've got to get off this mountain before the thunderstorm comes. So Ahab, he goes and he gets ready. Elijah, he goes back up on top of Mount Carmel. He puts his head between his knees, which is a posture of prayer. And he prays for God to send rain and end the drought. In verse 43, he asks his servant, do you see anything? And the servant's like, no, I don't see anything. But in verse 44, we read that a little cloud the size of a man's hand appeared on the horizon. God was sending rain. In verse 45, the sky turned black with clouds and wind and rain. Ahab, he rides away in his chariot to a place called Jezreel. It's basically, like in, in our terminology, it's down valley, right? He's heading down valley from Mount Carmel. And verse 46, Elijah ran ahead of Ahab and waited for him there at the entrance to Jezreel. Maybe you're thinking, why in the world is he doing that? Doesn't Ahab hate his guts? Why is he going to Jezreel to meet Ahab? This seems weird. Here's why. Guys, listen. Elijah assumes that just like everybody else on the mountain who saw the fire from heaven, the sign from God, and they, they, were, they repented and they turned their hearts to the Lord, he figures, well, probably Ahab's done the same thing. Ahab has also turned his heart to the Lord. And now, Ahab and me, we're going to be bros, right? Like he's going to, we're going to be friends because he's going to be happy. You're a prophet of the Lord. I love the Lord. I, I've repented. I'm following the Lord. But that's not what's going to happen, guys. They're not going to be bros. And we're going to see that in our study next time in chapter 19. So you got to come back, right? Got to come back. All right. So even though the people were persuaded that day that Baal was false, and Yahweh was true. Understand their momentary persuasion that came from that sign, it did not translate into lasting devotion to God. Okay, let's finish this up by looking at the end of our sentence. In the showdown between the Elijah and the prophets of Baal, we see a display of God's judgment and mercy, which points us to the hope we have in Jesus. Guys, you know, throughout the Bible, fire is used as a symbol of judgment, God's judgment. Fire is a symbol of God's judgment. Rain, on the other hand, is a symbol of God's mercy and God's grace throughout the Bible. Now on Mount Carmel, think about this. Fire from heaven came down and completely consumed the sacrifice. And as a result, the people received mercy. Are you picking up what it's putting down? 
Okay, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And on the cross, the fire of God's judgment that we deserved came upon Jesus, and he was totally consumed. There on Mount Carmel, with all the people gathered, you know what? God could have sent the fire of judgment upon the people. They certainly would have deserved it, right? The people had turned away from him. The people had ignored his calls to repentance and give their hearts back to him. The people deserved God's judgment, but instead of sending the fire of judgment upon the people, God sent the fire of judgment upon the sacrifice. Guys, Jesus is our sacrifice. He bore the flames of judgment on our behalf so we could receive mercy and grace showering down upon us. I began this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever wished that God would give you a sign? You know, we put that up on our Instagram this week, on our Instagram story, and we had several people respond, yes, I have always wanted God to give me a sign. Well, good news, guys. God has given you a sign. Jesus Christ is the ultimate sign, the sign to end all signs. Check out what it says in Matthew chapter 12. It says that some scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus one day, and they said, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Listen, maybe you read that and you say, man, why does Jesus say that they're adulterous and evil for wanting a sign. If I want a sign, does that mean that Jesus thinks I'm adulterous and evil? Well, understand one piece of context here, and that's this. When these guys said this to Jesus, what do you think he'd been doing for two years at this point? Healing people, signs, miracles, healing people, feeding crowds of people, doing signs, in other words, that he was the Messiah. And by these guys coming up to him, you know what they're saying? They're saying, you know, Jesus, all that other stuff you did, it didn't really impress us. It didn't persuade us. When are you going to do something really cool, Jesus? Something that will really convince us that you are the Messiah. It's a slap in the face, guys. It's an insult. They're saying, Jesus, all that other stuff you did didn't count. Jump through a hoop for us, you know? Give us a, give us a real show. Show us something that will really impress us. Understand, this is, this is an insult. And so Jesus responds the way he does. There's something wrong with you guys' hearts, is what he's saying. And then he says this. He says, you know what? I'll give you one sign and only one sign. If nothing else impressed you, then remember this. Write it down. Take note of it. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die one day, and then three days later, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to live again. So you guys take note of that and pay attention when it happens. And you know what? It happened exactly like he said it would. Guys, God has sent you a sign. He has sent you the ultimate sign in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want a sign that God is really there, that God really cares about you, that God really loves you, you don't need to look any further than Jesus. You know what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8? He said, here is the sign that God really loves you. Here's the sign. By this, God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the sign you've been waiting for. 
Jesus came to us. He was God come to us, and he took the fire of heaven's judgment in our place so that we could receive mercy and grace raining down on us from heaven above. What a gift. And as you think about that gift today, as we move into a time of communion, I want you to ask yourself this question. Maybe write it down. Maybe think about it, okay? Here's the question. What are you going to do in response to what Jesus did for you? What are you going to do in response to what Jesus did for you? There's a lot of answers. There's a lot of right answers. Are you going to trust in him? Are you going to worship him? Are you going to serve him? How will you respond to what Jesus has done for you? I want you to take that question and think about it as we take communion and think about it as you walk out of this building today and go about the rest of your day and think about it throughout this coming week. How will you respond to what Jesus did for you? Lord, we thank you for your grace towards us. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you, Jesus, took the fire of judgment in our place so we could have grace and mercy rain down upon us. Lord, thank you for your goodness, and we praise you during this time. Lord, we want to respond appropriately to this gift that you have given us. It's so incredible. We remember that you were nailed to a cross, Jesus, and our sins were nailed to the cross along with you. So we rejoice. We're so thankful that in you, because of what you did on the cross, we can be forgiven. We can have a fresh start and a new life. We can have eternal life in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.